This is Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, the podcast. It's new people, new policies, and new pros for today's Women on the Move. Today we begin an important series of conversations about women's health called Medical Moments with Dr. Dana. Studies conducted by the U.S. Government Office on Women's Health reports that stress, anxiety, and lack of sleep are reactions to change or challenge, and long-time stress may change your sleeping patterns, weaken your immune system, and could lead to serious health conditions. Stay tuned and learn about many of the different ways stress affects women and their families. Now here's your host, Deborah Harmon Pugh. Welcome to Women Veterans Rock on the Hill. It is the award-winning podcast for today's Women on the Move, and I am your host, Deborah Harmon Pugh. It is great to have you join today's informal and audience-friendly conversation about health. Yes, it's about women's health, and we are conducting a series of conversations about the conditions of our health as women and how it impacts the lives of our family members as well. Now, I know that we are all facing the challenges of managing stress in our everyday lives. So today's conversation is brought to you by one of our longtime sister friends who is here to guide us through a series of discussions to help us rally around as a community of women to talk about and take steps to handle the broad spectrum of stress that is taking shape in many of our lives. Today's special guest is Dr. Dana Robinson-Street. She's a retired U.S. Naval officer and doctorate family nurse practitioner, professional health educator, entrepreneur, and consultant. As manager of the Little Clinic of Ohio, she delivered the highest quality of health care and a wide range of health-related services to achieve optimum patient satisfaction. And as a telemedicine urgent care and family practitioner, she is a trusted partner in providing access to high quality, clinically integrated health care. I am glad that you are here today to join me in welcoming back Dr. Dana Robinson Street after this short break. Thank you for tuning in. And as always, we want to thank our sponsors, Comcast NBC Universal Military and Veterans Affairs for their support of women veterans, military families in the production of Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, the podcast. New Ranks Digital Media Network is connecting today's new ranks and new generations to family, friends, and faith as a digital lifeline across time and across distance. New Ranks is America's fastest growing digital media network that's connecting people, places, and possibilities to one another. It's time to celebrate another national enduring community partner and sponsor. It's New Ranks Digital Media Network. They are the proud and exclusive sponsors of our one last thing before we go show commentary segment be sure to stay tuned as we close 
each episode with one last thing before we go. Thanks for supporting us and the New Ranks Digital Media Network. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Dana Robinson-Street, and I'm excited to be the new correspondent for Medical Moments with Dr. Dana here at Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, the podcast. Good afternoon, Dr. Dana Robinson-Street, and welcome back to Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, the podcast. Thank you so much for having me today. I am so honored and excited to be the medical correspondent of the Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, the podcast. Well, it is certainly good to have you back with us again. And so many of our listeners know that you are not only a prominent leader on our nationwide leadership council, but you're also a longtime and dear friend with us here in the Women Veterans Rock community. So it's great to have you back. Thank you. So let's begin today's conversation in having our listeners know that we are launching a new segment called Medical Moments with Dr. Dana. Before we get into the details of what Medical Moments is going to feel like, I'd like for you to share with listeners who may not have met you before a little bit about your military background and your military service. So I am Dr. Dana Robinson Street. I've had the honor of serving my country for almost 26 years as an active duty member of the Navy. I was enlisted for almost 17 years, for about 17 years, and then I finished the remainder of my time as a primary care emergency medicine provider. I've served under five presidents, President Reagan until President Obama. It was absolutely an honor for me to serve this amazing country of ours. Uh, Share with us exactly where are you serving and what role do you play in your day-to-day work as a medical practitioner? When I initially retired, I I would contract myself out to open up clinics around the the country. And um, I eventually settled in Ohio, which is where I live currently in Columbus, Ohio. And I currently serve as what we call a hybrid urgent care provider. After working in the urgent care for several years, I have transitioned over to where I provide video visits in an urgent care environment and in-clinic urgent care clinic visits to patients. Well, it's been interesting to see your career continue to evolve because when you and I first met, you were actually working as a doctor at the VA administration or the VA hospital here in the greater Philadelphia area. And then I saw how your career took off in your civilian life. And as you said, it has landed you in the great state of Ohio. You know, honestly, I can say that that's one of the most beautiful aspects of the medical field is that um, there's always something different or something interesting that you can do and ways that we can continue to serve and continue to help people. So for me, um, I my favorite form of medicine is emergency medicine. And of course, I also have this love for primary care. Urgent care gives me the best of both worlds. I have patients that are emergent that have more extensive needs than others. But then I also have those that have chronic needs. And so I can still see both both types of patients in an environment that gives me the hours that work for myself and my family. 
I have seen you go through the very tumultuous time that all of our country, in fact, around the globe, we were going through the uh, traumatic period of responding to a global pandemic. And I'd just like to take just a moment to park here for a second for you to give our listeners a feel of what it was like for you as a medical professional serving on the front lines as we were all working through a global pandemic called COVID-19. Thank you for asking this question. COVID-19 really shined a light on, on the medical community in terms of what happens when you have a massive number of people that are ill and working in an environment where full of uncertainty. When the pandemic first began, we really honestly, we didn't know what to expect and we, re we didn't know what to do. So what we did, and, I'm, and I can say that I am so honored to be a part of, of this community and, and the strategic ways that we made sure that we were able to provide care to patients that were extremely ill. We sacrificed ourselves, which is what we do in the medical field anyway, but, uh, but we particularly sacrificed ourselves, sometimes working double the number of hours that we would have been working otherwise, coming in as our colleagues became ill, uh, some of which who passed away, as our family members were faced with illnesses, um, and as, as, as we, or I can speak for myself, as I was faced with this horrible, horrible illness called COVID-19, um, we all did what we could and we made sure that our patients were cared for. Um, but COVID shined a huge light on the medical field because we had a massive number of patients that needed care in an ever-changing environment. You know, I'm sure you saw some of the briefs on the news where they would say one thing one day and then it would change to something else the next day. But guess mm -hmm. what? We were willing to dive in and do what we could to make sure that people were cared for. And I am honestly very proud to say that I was able to contribute and, and have an impact on people who survived COVID and making sure that we gave the medical care that our patients deserved. Well, I just have to thank you once again for your service that you performed. Talk to us a little bit about your philosophy around putting prevention into practice. You know, um, I, I like to start uh, my, any discussion I have about my medical, the reason I'm in the medical field, um, and I base it on my experiences in life, right? Um, I can remember my father when I was 16 years old. My father told my younger brother and I to come on and get in the car with him because we were going to the doctor. And at this time, I, prior to this, I have no recollection of my father ever even going to the doctor. But he wanted to go and see our primary care doctor. So we got, my brother and I, we got in the car and our family doctor said to him, Mr. Robinson, shake my hand. So my father shook his hand and said, I'll punch my hand. My father punched his hand and um, he had him pull him and do a couple of other things that I know today to be an assessment, right? Back then as a kid, I didn't know what he was doing or why he was asking those questions, but I knew that he was examining my father in some way. Well, we got back in the car because our family doctor told my father, oh, Mr. Robinson, you're fine. 
And um, my dad and I, my dad, my brother and I, we got in the car and he drove us home. Now, if my younger brother were to tell you the story, he was 15 at the time. He would tell you that he remembers that my father could not make left turns. What I remember is that it took us a long time to get home that day. Back then, cars didn't have the metal uh, over the windshield. Instead, you just roll the window up and it just kind of met up to the top of the car. Well, the reason why I remember that cars did not have metal around the windshield is that when my father parked the car, when we finally made it home, and he parked the car, he opened the car door, got out of the car, and had a stroke. Mm, Oh, my. As a result of no metal being around the glass, or maybe it could have happened anyway, he cut his brow as he fell down. Now, today, I realize that, or after I went into the medical field, I realized that had our family doctor just taken a couple more precautions, done a couple more tests, maybe he would have realized that my father was having a stroke, but that didn't happen. So at the age of 16, I promised my father that I was going to go into the medical field and I was going to take care of patients much better than he had been taken care of. And I can honestly say, and of course, um, well, by the time I graduated and became a medical profession, my father had passed away. But I can honestly say that I have always kept that promise to my father. And I make sure that every patient that I interact with, that Mm -hmm. I give them my 100%. I make sure that every patient that I interact with has the kind of care that they deserve, not that I want them to have the kind of care that they deserve for taking the time out and doing all of those things that it takes to come and see us, whether it be taking time off work, driving to get there, the wait, and I should say that five times, (laughs) the wait, the wait, the wait, because that's what people don't like the most, right? And then (laughs) sitting down and being vulnerable in front of us as medical professionals Mm -hmm. to say, I need help. And so I give them the care that they deserve, and I will continue that vow until the day that I leave this earth. In terms of um, putting prevention into practice, the Surgeon General, Dr. Satcher, back in April of 1998, he talked about putting prevention into practice, and that's where his goal was to go in terms of a medical professional. Mm-hmm. as a medical profession, right? Mm-hmm. He, he wanted us to put prevention into practice. Practice all of those preventative things that will protect our quality of life, decrease the health effects um, that we may have, and improve the lives that we have. So what I mean by that is if I address the high blood pressure, addressing high blood pressure is much cheaper than addressing the stroke. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. It's, it's much less life impacting than having a stroke or having a heart attack or having the kidney failure that can be associated with uncontrolled blood pressure. Mm-hmm. And so um, but as a country, we, we've never really gotten there. Um, we don't really put prevention into practice. We have a more reactive healthcare system, mm-hmm. one that says that I'm sick, please help me. And then when I'm sick, I come back again and I need help again. And so um, oftentimes, uh, we are beginning to see more extensive illnesses in our patients as a result of not having put that prevention into practice. Mm-hmm. And so my philosophy is is that we have to practice 
preventative care, so one, one for one reason, um, so that we can be healthier as a country, and so that we can stop passing down illnesses, chronic illnesses that we don't have to have or that we don't have to have uh, as extensive of effects from because we're not practicing prevention. Well, I love this philosophy of putting prevention into practice. And I want to say to our listeners, ladies and gentlemen, we have a doctor in the house. So thank you, Dr. Dana, not only for your experience and your philosophy, but your generosity in being a correspondent here with us. And I'd like for us to take a moment to give our listeners a sample of some of the things that we're going to be talking about in some of our upcoming shows together. Here's a few things that has come across my radar, in fact, all of us, that most Americans are suffering with. And those are a few things like stress, anxiety, and sleep. And I'd like to get your take and your reaction on some of these important topical medical matters that we are all dealing with at varying degrees. So let's talk about the effects of stress in our lives. What are your thoughts about, um, from a medical perspective, about stress in our lives? Prior to um, COVID, we, we, we all knew what stress was. We knew the effects of stress. But I don't feel that we knew the impact or how much stress people were really experiencing until we were faced with the inability to interact with one another. The inability to go to work, right? Because sometimes my job is associated with how I feel about myself. Right. Um, the fact that we were so isolated and seeing all of these other things in society just unfold around us. So um, I feel that the stress that we've been subjected to for all of these years have just had a compounded effect. And now we're seeing the manifestations of it. Um, stress can cause things like weight loss or weight gain. Uh, there's a hormone that is released from the body called cortisol, and it affects your appetite. It affects your body's need for extra energy, but it also affects what you do um, in terms of your day around the stress. Some people will eat. Some people will not eat. Some people will feel anxious. Some people will have chest pain, right? Um, I just saw someone the other day, and he came in because he was having abdominal pain. And at the end of the conversation, we figured out that it was just really a stress response. Prolonged mm -hmm. stress can affect your sleep. It can cause you to have headaches, migraines, heart palpitations, or cardiac problems, which it are just heart problems, right? Uh, it can cause migraine headaches. And as women, it can affect our ability to reproduce. Mm. Well, you know, when we talk about stress, oftentimes people tend to defer to individuals that are personality type A's, they have busy jobs, they're juggling a lot of balls. But what we have seen as this 
new and evolving phenomenon is stress is affecting people that are younger ages in in various communities and functions that we had not experienced decades ago. So what's your sense of why and how do we see stress, not only in homes, not only in families and school and that work, but in communities? How do you see that emerging and affecting our lives in a way that it is increasing the second thing on our list, and that is anxiety? The cause of stress and the response to stress can be um, as a result of multiple things, right? So I can drive down the street and someone cut me off. It increases the epinephrine in my body. It increases fight or flight syndrome. I have a sensation of fight or flight inside my body. You feel the tension where everything just seems to clench up. And then some people will respond by saying foul language, using foul language, right? Or some people will respond in different ways. Or the fact that some people don't have their parents in the home because of increasing inflation causes us to work two mm -hmm. or three jobs. The cost mm -hmm. of food is increasing. And mm -hmm. so it makes it harder for me to care for those that I love without working more than one job as a result, as a parent, then I start to internalize what it feels like to not be able to be there for my children. <laughs> In neighborhoods, we see increased stress with some of the crime that's going on, <laughs> right? All <laughs> of the, the crime and the responses to crime. <laughs> when, when I hear a siren, the first thing that most people will think of is something happened somewhere. Mm -hmm. Not not that, oh, there must have been a car accident mm -hmm. or, you know, someone was ill and they fell down and this is just the emergency response to it. Right? Mm -hmm. We tend to think of things that are more stressful or mm -hmm. more life-altering as opposed to things that, hmm, it's just someone needs help. Right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, and, and all of those things are a result of stress as, resu mm -hmm. as a result of what we see on TV. Mm -hmm. you know, all of the things like George Floyd as a result of uh, the impact of COVID um, mm -hmm. and not being able to go to work or people losing their jobs or businesses and organizations closing, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. All of these things play a part in our lives. Mm -hmm. Now, I can't, and they cause anxiety. I can't change stress. But what I can do is I can change my response to stress. So I will go back to the first example I gave of someone cutting me off in traffic. If someone cuts me off in traffic, it is a natural thing to become upset. But I try to have a, a I try to have a paradigm change of why the person did it. And I think to myself, well, maybe they're in a rush to get somewhere because someone's ill. Maybe they are rushing to get to work and it had nothing to do with me. They weren't just trying to cut me off. I'm thanking God that I didn't crash into the person when they cut in front of me or darted in front of me. Mm -hmm. You know, I try to shift the way that I think of things that are stressful 
so then I can change my response to stress because I know that if I have prolonged stress, it's going to affect my heart. It's going to affect my blood pressure. It's going to affect the ways that I interact with others. And so I feel that it is important as a person and as a medical provider that we as a society change our response so that we don't release all of those hormones into our body mm-hmm. that's going to have a long-term effect and have a long-term emotional effect on who we are and how we respond. So you've made mention of something that's really important, and that's this prolonged reaction to stress and this chronic uh, connection between stress and anxiety. And what are some of the things when we go to our physicians to talk about this prolonged impact that we are experiencing? How should we articulate it? How should we describe our feelings and our experiences so that we can get the right prescriptions and therapies and it doesn't necessarily have to be drugs how do we get the correct prescriptions and therapies for treatment you know i um i tell my brother that i can walk in a grocery store and identify people who have uncontrolled blood pressure sometimes And I tell him that the way that I identify them is that their anger changes. It goes from zero to 60 faster than a Porsche. Now, I like sports cars, so I always have to use this sports car analogy, right? Hoping Mm -hmm. that at some point someone's going to give me that convertible Bentley (laughs) that I desire so much in my heart. You get a car. You get a car. You get a car. (laughs) Exactly. So what happens is, and the reason why I say they have this zero to 60 faster than a Porsche, you walk past the person and they're fine. They may be in there with their child, right? And um, they're fine. Hey, how are you doing? Don't see any anger on their face. And then the kid knocks a can off the shelf. Not really a big deal. You just pick it up and put it back on the shelf, right? But they go and they become angry so fast. They go from zero to 60 faster than a Porsche. I feel that those are people that are manifesting stress responses or stress reactions or high blood pressure that is uncontrolled. So when a person goes to their primary care doctor to discuss the things that they are experiencing, one, you have to identify it, right? I, um, I used to say that my children taught me how to treat people. And the reason I would say that is because if I said something to hurt, the feelings of my children, well, you could see it on their face. You see it on their face and in one second. And um, and they would look so sad. So um, it would make me change who I was and how I interacted because I didn't want to be that person mm-hmm. that, you know, made them feel bad. So I had to change me. I had to work on me. So it's important that we first identify what we're experiencing. If I'm having days where I just can't get out of bed because I I just I'm so tired for no reason and those days can those number of days continue to grow, you know, that may be a sign of depression. Right? If I'm feeling sad all the time and, and not wanting to to do the things that I need to do in my day or forcing myself to 
just just interact with others or crying all the time or not wanting to eat or eating too much. We have to look inward and we have to identify those things in ourselves that are signs of what we're experiencing and how we're doing. Mm-hmm. And then even if you don't have the best words to attach to them, you just go and you sit down with your primary care doctor and you you open up and you say, hey, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I know that every time I get up and it, it takes a lot of work for me to just make dinner, right? It takes a lot of work for me to to get up and get out of bed and make sure that I see my kids off. And I didn't have that problem four months ago. I didn't have that problem six months ago. I didn't feel like that three weeks ago. It was after whatever it was that you can associate with it, or even if you can't associate it with anything. You just make sure that you have the conversation. Open up. Give yourself the chance to be vulnerable. And give us the opportunity to do what it is that we love to do and that we love to and that we know how to do, which is help our patients. I am hearing you say two really important things if we were to compartmentalize, and that is we need to be thoughtful about changing our response to stress. Stress is inevitable in everyone's life. The other thing I hear you mentioning quite frequently is about visits to our primary care doctor. You know, this is something that's very near and dear to my heart because I was in primary care. And I will tell you what usually happens. Most times, because of all the things that a patient has to do in order to be seen, they will wait and come in with this long list of things that they'd like addressed. And they want it addressed now, right? So I come in and I want to talk about my headaches and my back pain and my chest pain and my knees hurt. Oh, yeah, and let's not forget about my cholesterol and my blood pressure. And remember that last time you said something about my sugar being high or that I may be diabetic, right? And so they do what I call drive-bys, right? They bring this long list of things in, and they want me to fix them all at one time. The reality is, is guess what? I still have 20 minutes. I still have maybe 30 minutes, right, if if it's on a good day. So here's what I recommended to my patients in primary care. What I said is, that if you come in with a list of 10 things, I will do my best to address them. But you have given me about two minutes per problem. As a result, we may not get to the full addressal of those concerns. One, I think we all need to be seen. We need to come in for our annual physicals. Take the time. Take the time because addressing the high blood pressure holds off, hopefully, the heart attack. It holds off the stress. So what I recommend that every patient do is think of your top three concerns. And then those are the things that you talk about when you go see your doctor. And take time. Make another appointment. Come back in. And then bring the next three. Because in that way, it gives us the opportunity to, one, fully characterize or diagnose whatever symptom you have, but two, it gives us the ability to invest the time that we need to in your health concern. Otherwise, you get pieced together care. 
I know, I realize that to come and see me, someone has to take time out of their day. I realize that there's going to be a cost because they have to drive their car or get a ride or take a lift or take a bus, right? And they're going to lose money or have to take vacation time. I realize that there's a lot that patients do to come and sit in front of us. And then they get there and there's a wait, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the reality is, is if you don't do those things, then a person may have a greater impact of an illness. For example, uncontrolled high blood pressure is the number two leading cause of kidney failure. Now, I'm not going to talk too much about it today because we'll talk about this in another medical moment. Mm -hmm. But it's the number two leading cause of kidney failure. So if I have a patient and they have kidney failure, I will ask them, are you diabetic? If they tell me no, my next question is, did you have uncontrolled high blood pressure? And out of the hundreds of thousands of patients that I have seen, I have never had a no to both answers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, that says to me that controlling our blood pressure is pretty important, mm -hmm. right? Because we know there's not kidneys sitting around for everyone, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? So the reality is, is that if we practice that preventative care, that care that says that I am going to go and get help if I need it, that I am going to go and take time out of my day to make sure that I can have a healthier tomorrow. That is what will help us as we walk along this life and as we live and as we're faced with other illnesses as a result of just being alive. Well, thank you so much for talking about the importance of having wellness visits to our physicians. And oftentimes we think that time does not permit us enough um, opportunity to do that. But wellness visits are really, really important and you're helping us to understand why. So today we are talking about putting prevention into practice. And there is something that always appears on every list when we look at how do we manage wellness in our lives, and that is sleep or the lack thereof. So please share with our listeners about the chronic condition of, of lack of sleep, how that affects our lives, and the ways in which we really should actively work on incorporating a good night's sleep in our schedule with regularity. You know, insomnia, um, when, when we sleep, first of all, it's the opportunity. When we fall asleep, it's the time that we give our brains to regenerate itself. We rest, we close our eyes, we turn ourselves off from the day, and our breast, our brain, sorry, has the opportunity to rest and to heal. Insomnia can have horrendous effects on the brain. Some of the effects of insomnia are an inability to concentrate, right? Creativity problems, short and long-term memory loss. People can hallucinate as a result of sleep deprivation, mood swings, uh, symptoms of mania, as if they're like mentally ill and in mania. Um, uh, but that's just a, uh, an, a, because the brain hasn't rested. Some people who are sleep deprived will have impulsive behaviors. They'll have depression. They can become paranoid and suicidal. So again, sleep is when we regenerate 
And it is so important. People who have trouble sleeping should make sure that they use their beds for sleep and for sex. Nothing else. Don't take your meals in there and eat them. Don't sit in bed and read. Don't listen to the radio. Don't watch the news. <laughs> don't do any of those things. I stand <laughs> <laughs> Because then the bed begins to be associated with something other than sleep. To train yourself to sleep, you should go to bed at the same time every day. If a person is unable to sleep, so let's say my bedtime that I've decided for myself is 10 o'clock. I lay down at 10 o'clock, and then at 6 o'clock, I get out of the bed, even if I haven't slept, right? And so that is me trying to retrain my body to say 10 o'clock is when I sleep, 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock is when I get up. And any time in between, even if I can't sleep, I just lay there. Praying and wishing I was asleep, okay? <laughs> Try not to eat anything, especially things that are caffeinated, three hours before you go to bed because they stimulate you and they cause you to have more energy. And you don't want that. You want your body to start to wind down, get into that uh, relaxation mode that will allow you to rest. And for people who have trouble sleeping, I also recommend that they don't nap. Because when we nap, we trick our brains. And we cause our brains to believe that for that short period of time, we rested and that that rest will be enough. And so we don't want that. We want you to turn off all the lights, cover up any clocks, um, take away any stimulation, whether it be music or noise, and just allow your body to enter that relaxation phase that will allow you to fall asleep. Well, this has been an interesting an important as well as informative discussion about some of the medical matters that many of us deal with from time to time. And I'm just very happy that we've had today's medical moment with Dr. Dana. As we close today's discussion, I'd like to give you an opportunity to share with us three remedies of things that are important to give us wellness from day to day that oftentimes we may overlook. What are three of your top remedies that we should consider? In terms of the prevention thing, I say be seen. Annual physicals matter. They are very important. Take the time to do them. Take the time to invest in your health, right? We invest in so many other things in our days, but we have to invest in our health. Be vulnerable. Open up. Share what it is that you're experiencing. Don't worry if someone's going to feel some kind of way or think some kind of thought, they are not. If they are a medical professional, we want to be there. We want to have the opportunity to help you. And if you don't share, then we don't know and we can't help. And then the last thing I recommend is be heard. Sometimes we'll go in and we find providers that we don't feel are listening to the things that we're saying. We don't feel that they have enough care for us, right? That's okay. But the reality is, is that that's not the one-stop shop that is here. So you take the time to find someone else that can give you those things that you need because you are investing in your health and your goal is to be healthy. And the only way that you can be healthy is to be seen, to be vulnerable, and to be heard. And then the last thing would be to keep listening to these medical moments with Dr. Dana. <laughs> <laughs> so 
much for today's <laughs> with Dr. Dana Robinson here at Women Veterans Rock on the Hill. We thank Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, a national enduring partner of Women Veterans Rock for their longtime support and for their shared vision of service, inclusion, and equality. This episode of Women Veterans Rock on the Hill is sponsored by the Women Veterans Rock Civic Leadership Institute, where our priority is preparing today's military women for post-military civic leadership, business leadership, and nonprofit leadership in America. And there's one last thing before we go. A woman's health is her capital, and our communities, countries, and continents are only as strong and capital-rich as the health of their women. Time and health are two precious commodities that we don't always appreciate until they have been depleted. We believe that happiness is among the highest forms of good health when it is paired with low stress and a joyful state of being. And in the words of Audre Lorde, an American writer, a womanist, radical feminist professor, and civil rights activist, and she says, self-care is not self-indulgent. It is self-preservation. Now, Posse, take us home. <laughs>